This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 800. In the very beginning, it's lack of resources and knowledge that I feel like was holding me back. And then now I would say that it is overwhelm of resources and knowledge. The most important thing isn't that you have success young. It's that you stack the deck in your favor. And the way you would do that is by learning as much as humanly possible young. First business we ever started, we had to raise money for. There was this guy who told us that he would help us raise money. And he said, I'm going to raise the money, but I'm taking the equity now. So we gave him equity before he performed. He didn't raise any money. We ended up selling the company and that cost us about two and a half million dollars. Whoa. That one hurt. What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. We are the biggest, the baddest, and the best real estate podcast in the world. And we have a special episode for you all today, episode 800, quite the milestone. We wanted to do something special for you guys. So we've gift wrapped billions of dollars of wisdom on real estate business and life to answer questions that you get to benefit from. We talked to people like Cody Sanchez, Layla and Alex Hormozy, Cody Davis and Christian Osgood, and they absolutely delivered this episode. They gave specifics, they told stories, and they had so much fun with it. There's value in here for every single investor, no matter what phase or stage you're in. And Rob, I've already made it home. Why are you still at the airport? Well, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I my flight got delayed and got delayed again and then it got rebooked and then it got canceled. And so I am hanging out in an airport lounge having a mojito in beautiful, tropical Atlanta, Georgia. Your favorite toe has always been a mojito. I'm glad that there's something to take the edge off of that hellacious traveling. Hope you make it home safe, bud. Yeah, you know, it's a little awkward. Everyone's like looking at me talking to a microphone. I feel very uh, I feel very weird about this. But hey, I've surrounded myself with all the wisdom from all the people we're about to listen to today. So because of that, I feel very secure. I feel very wise and ready to take on today's episode. Before we get to today's show, today's quick tip is simple. Ask more questions. And I'm not saying how can you get a piece of somebody else's pie, but ask how they did what they did, how they accomplished it. That might just make someone like you more to where you could get deeper into their world and find more success. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. 
As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. But since today's episode is literally an entire episode of Quick Tips, we're going to get right into it. The first question that we asked these millionaires was, what phase of the deal cycle do you think people snooze on? In true to form, our friend Cody Sanchez kicked it off with a hot take. This is the Bigger Pockets podcast coming at you from the Spotify studios in downtown LA. All right, Cody, is there a phase of the business deal cycle that you think other people snooze on? I think every business and every deal is really easy to get into and hard to get out of. And so the problem is people get excited and they want to do a deal and everybody tracks the time to execution. Like I have 50 doors by the time I was 24 or, you know, I bought my first piece of real estate inside of a year. I think that's a terrible metric. Is it a good deal? Not just a fast done deal. So I think that's the most important thing. It's much easier to just keep learning and execute on one deal really well than execute on a bunch fast. Alex and Lalo Hormosi also answer this one. It turns out their advice actually works for real estate and for dating, so you know that it's real wisdom. Is there a phase of the business deal cycle that you think other people snooze on? I actually think it's after you have gotten a verbal like consent to a sale or to an acquisition or whatever it is, and prior to them mm. uh, it actually happening. So I mm. think it's, you know, say the person verbally agrees to yes. And then people feel like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, a feeling of relief, the work is done. And then there's like a four or six week or eight week or 12 week in a business acquisition gap where people forget about that. They're like, oh, they already said yes, so it's done. No, that's when I think you need to start bringing in people from the other side. So whomever they're going to interact with after the sale, I say bring those people in immediately once they've said yes, and then start integrating them in and start treating them like they're already a customer or a partner or whatever it is. Because that's actually where I see a ton of drop off because the person feels like they just said yes, and then they're they're expecting treat me like yeah, I just said yes. But a lot of people just treat them like, oh, my work is done. You propose, she says yes, you're like, great, all right. Back to work and forget all about the totally. fact that- Totally. Yeah. I'm going to start stop dating her now. It's like, what? Like we just got, it's not done until the credit card has been slid. It's not done until the paperwork is signed. I give this example, like you're underwater, you're swimming to the top. You don't get to breathe in until you actually breach the surface. Like being two inches from the surface is no different than being 20 feet down. You're still going to die. And there's always this urge to exhale early to like, yay, we won. And then relieve the pressure. Yeah. And- I'll tell you when I'm representing the buyers, like I've snuck in on many people who didn't get that thing signed and I'll say, well, we'll pay 10 grand more. And the next thing you know, we grab that deal because we didn't exhale. And on the follow up, this happens a lot looking for investment properties. They write their offer. The seller says no, they forget about it. When I'm in buying mode, I keep a spreadsheet of all the houses I wrote offers on that said no. And I will go back and I will say, hey, what about now? And life happens, emotions change. Like that's usually the ones you grab or not the first try. It's like, you're not gonna chop that tree down with one swing of the ax. But once you've swung a couple of times, why are you stopping? Like you got some work in. So I couldn't agree more. Those are, that's great advice. Did you ever have a time where you asked out Layla, she said no, and you just had to keep following up and you caught her in a better mood? She tried mood? to cancel the first date. I mean, yeah, it, works, it works many times in yeah. life, right? No, she tried to cancel the first date. And so I called, I, so I called her up. So I, I called, you know, I was like, follow up, right? I called her up and uh, she's like, oh, I just feel really sick. I was like, you're talking to me. You're not that sick. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was hung over. <laughs> yeah, she, whatever. And so uh, I was like, no, like we're on. <laughs> so, so we were on. And was that part of the appeal was like, okay, this person really wants it if they're going to keep trying. I just like somebody that was so assertive. I think that I was just so used to people that like I was more assertive than them. And so I was like, well, this is kind of refreshing that he's so like directive. And like some people might be Please come on this date with me. I was like, no, you said we're doing it. We're doing it. You know, like I was like, I need to be people too. I need to get out. Let's go. You know what I mean? Let's do this. Well, when you're a seller and you're used to getting offers on either your business or your property or whatever, a lot of the time we assume that the first thing they're thinking about is the price, but most of them are thinking about, are you actually going to close? Are you legit or are you messing with me? And when a person continually follows up, you're sending that subconscious symbol. No, I really am going to close and I want to close and I'm the right buyer for you to take. I actually just think it's like just keeping things warm. So a lot of people like have hard closes. Like if you don't take my terms or you don't take my price or whatever it is, like screw you, go away. 
But like when we look at the deals that we did this year so far, 75% of the deals were people that we had talked to over a year ago and been like, hey, it's not a fit for us right now, but like try do these things. And like, if this works for you, like give us a call. And those people did those things. They worked and then gave us a call. And so like people are tend to be a little bit too transactional, even though they are quote transactions. But I think that the the relational becomes the compounding mechanism in terms of like deal flow and getting things back. And I think that just becomes the long-term moat that snowballs. Ashley Kerr, who co-hosts Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast, kept us grounded with some classic, no-nonsense real estate wisdom. Looking at income opportunities on a property that I think too many people are going through their listings and saying, oh, this is single family, I'm looking for duplexes, but not looking at something as to how you can generate additional income off of something. I think there's a lot of money left on the table of, you know, looking at a property and be like, you know what, there's actually a garage there. I can rent out the garage for, you know, additional unit. It's by the Bill Stadium. I can rent out this grassy area for parking and just looking at different ways to get creative to to make deals work. And one of my favorite responses to what people snooze on came from multifamily mogul and friend of bigger pockets, as well as myself, Andrew Cushman. Everybody, not everybody, but so many people are either scared or they're just, I'm going to sit and wait. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to build my relationships for money. I'm not going to build my relationships for leads, for properties, all that. Now is the time to be building out your systems and in your potential business and for your potential investment. Maybe it's okay if you're not actually buying anything right now. If it doesn't underwrite, it doesn't underwrite. But it is not the time to just sit on the sideline and say, well, well, I'm going to wait. Um, I can't tell you, I know people that in 2016 sold everything they had and said, I'm waiting for the crash. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. Finally, seven years later in 2023, things are shifting, but they missed out on so much by just saying, yeah, I'm going to just, I'm going to take time off. You cannot perfectly time the market. It never works. Once in a while, a few people get lucky. Um, so I think people, there are people who are snoozing right now that shouldn't be. They should be laying the groundwork for huge success when the time comes, which I think might be next year. You heard Andrew. Now is not the time to stop working smart. Part of what keeps these people so sharp and so centered is the good advice that they've gotten along the way. Our hosting counterparts over at the Real Estate Rookie Podcast kick things off. Here's Tony Robinson and Ashley Kerr. Do you have a core memory about some advice and how did that shape you? One core memory I have that really shaped my my business was, was actually a conversation with Brandon Turner. And uh, it was shortly after I became a host. And he told me one of the things that he regretted in his business was thinking too small for too long. And he was like, if you think bigger sooner, your business is gonna, going to grow faster. And I just really internalized that. And that's why now I have a goal of buying a billion dollars worth of real estate. My core memory was when I started working for an investor. It was um, my first experience with anything real estate, and he was buying a business. And he took his rental properties he had, he refinanced them, did a cash-out refinance, took that cash, and was using this cash to buy the business. The core memory I have is sitting at the closing table in this wood-paneled old attorney's office with shag carpet on the floor and him letting me write out these very large checks. And at that moment, that's when it clicked for me as to like, if he can do this, I can do this, and this is how it's done. Jason and Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Do you have a core memory about some advice and how it shaped you? I do. Uh, So I actually grew up as a young kid in New England. And I remember one winter walking by an apartment complex with my dad and there's snow on the ground and he stopped and he's like, Andrew, you see that over there? I'm like, see what? And he goes, the chain fence. And I was like, yeah, he goes, that's a dog park. I'm like, okay. And he said, whatever you do, don't ever make snow angels in that. Um, In addition to that, probably even more impactful was something my uh, mentor, Tim Rode, one of my mentors, Tim Rode said to me. And he told me to play your own game. And what that means, or some of the things that that means, is to lean on your own strengths, uh, do what is in line with your mm. why. Uh, you know, basically, you know, don't compare your success to other people's because everybody is starting from a different place and they have a different place that they're trying to get to. And while it's incredibly valuable to learn from those people, um, in the sense of your own success and what you're trying to do, it's irrelevant. 
And that was something that was really important to me when he said that, just play your own game. Because, you know, it'd be really, sometimes I found it really frustrating. I would meet somebody who's in the multifamily syndication business and they'd done 10,000 units in four years. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I've done two. Right. And so I'm like, well, no, he's playing his game. My mm -hmm. game's a little bit different. So that was a really meaningful and impactful advice to me. Awesome. Jason, same question. Yeah, for me, I think the best advice I ever received was at a point where I needed it the most. When I first started as a young person in the business, as a commercial real estate agent, I had been banging the phones for three or four months with no leads and um, nothing to really even show that I might make income next month. And my mentor told me that basically in your first year in the business, you're trying to get skill sets that teach you to become a successful person later so you can become valuable to the marketplace after you shape these skills needed to add value to investors or to people that are looking to buy real estate. So I think that advice was probably the most pivotal point in my career. It comes down to, because so many people my age, we care about like the starting salary, like the 60, 80 grand salary in the tech world or whatever it is. But um, I think in the early years, it matters so much more about starting to shape the skills that are gonna create more value to the marketplace and hence will turn into more money for you. That last voice was Jason Lee. He's a young but up-and-coming investor, and you'll hear more about his backstory in a few weeks on episode 812. And pro skater turned beer maker turned real estate investor Mikey Taylor chimed in on this one too. Best piece of advice I've maybe ever been given. I was 18 years old, and my friend told me, as long as I'm trying to build anything, skateboard career business, never burn a bridge. That was his big thing, never burn a bridge. And what that looks like today, I think this has been huge for me. Anytime something happens that either rubs me the wrong way or creates like an emotional kind of spark, I never respond. I don't respond in the moment. I might draft something up, but I always sleep on it. Then the next day reassess, that has been massive for me. Yeah, but even smart people make mistakes. In fact, I don't think anybody builds big wealth without making mistakes along the way. And they're always going to get some things wrong. Now, that can be hard to remember when you're listening to podcasts like this with everybody telling the stories of their huge wins. So here's the biggest business mistakes that these people have made. Let's start with Cody Davis. Worst business decision that I ever made was letting someone else when I was getting started control the rents. I did all the asset management, but this put me in a position where I was doing all the work and this other guy was collecting the rents and then doing distributions until he wasn't. And that put me in a position when I had 30 apartments and I stopped getting all my rent distributions. And so I should have handled the money, but you don't know what you don't know in the beginning. And so trusting someone to handle the money as a, a manager rather than doing it myself was my biggest mistake because it cost me a lot. I think it's hard to answer that question about what my worst business decision is because I feel like every decision that I've made, even though it hasn't turned out how I wanted to, I still learned an incredible amount. And none of them have been fatal per se. So it's like, yeah, these are just like the, the costs of, of learning things. But uh, I did buy a house, um, my second rental property ever. It was in Shreveport, Louisiana. And um, it was honestly a great deal initially, but the uh, flood insurance changed from one year to the next, like literally quadrupled. That's fun. When and that it's, we know we went to multiple different insurance companies. No one wanted to insure it for whatever reason, even though nothing had happened. There was no flooding, like literally nothing changed. Uh, so the deal went from cash flow on a few hundred bucks a month to being, you know, cash flow negative pretty quickly. We tried to sell it, sat on the market forever. Finally got someone that wanted to buy it. Um, then during their due diligence, they found some issues with the foundation. We had to spend another, I think, like $12,000 cutting out the concrete in the middle of the house. Then we eventually sold it for a loss of $30,000 in addition to carrying the mortgage for an entire year. So i said that was prob probably one of my, my worst deals early on. Yeah. That's a terrible deal. But that can happen, especially yeah. when you get into lower price real estate because you're mm -hmm. like, oh, it'll cash flow better. Right. One little thing goes wrong, like mm -hmm. flood insurance. I mean, that's happening in Florida right now, which totally. is regular homeowner's insurance right mm -hmm. now. It's like tripling, quadrupling. I got a quote on a property I bought, $26,000 a year. Only insurance that I could get on that property. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What are you going to do, though? Like, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're stuck, right? <laughs> yeah. And the person who's buying it, they're going to have to pay the same thing. Mm -hmm. My worst business decision was probably one of our first. Uh, first business we ever started, we had to raise money for. We didn't have enough to do it. And there was this guy who told us that he would help us raise money. And he knew everybody. Uh, and I remember asking before we did the deal with him, what happens if you don't raise the money? And he said, I'm going to raise the money, but I'm taking the equity now. I will not do this without equity. So we gave him equity before he performed. He didn't raise any money. We ended up selling the company and that cost us about two and a half million dollars. Whoa. Yeah. That was a bad one. That one stung. 
What's he um, doing now? Don't know. I haven't talked to him in a decade. <laughs> that one hurt. Along those lines, Ashley Kerr and Soli Cayetano both had to learn some contractor lessons the hard way. Mine was not accurately or fairly uh, compensating people around me, whether it's contractors, employees, or partners. I feel like I really struggled for a long time as to how to effectively do that. For example, I had this property where we hired contractors, paid them by the hour. Right there. Big mistake. Ended up firing them. I can't say I haven't been there. (laughs) So big mistake and ended up costing us more money in the long run because we had to fire them. Our project went longer. We had to hire someone else. Um, And then even with my partnerships, like especially early on, like I gave that first partner uh, principal and interest payments for the capital he put into the property and 50% equity. So I think that I've had to learn how to adapt and to kind of like not rush into like, okay, yep, I'll pay for this or whatever, getting like a clear scope of work or a clear job description as to this is what I'm compensating you for. This is what the work that will actually be done and making it very, very detailed. So there isn't like those gray areas. What's the worst business decision you've ever made? Choosing cheap contractors. Especially when investing out of state, you don't actually see the properties a lot of the time. And so when three bids come in and one says 10,000, one says 15, and one says 20, you really want to believe that that 10,000 bid is accurate. And so I made the mistake many times starting out, choosing that $10,000 bid and it coming back to bite me and actually costing like $40,000 because you have to hire someone else to fix their mistakes. And it takes like twice as long. So... I try not to make that mistake anymore, but I made it a lot when I was starting out. Do you find yourself gravitating towards the middle quote or the more expensive quote whenever you're getting those contractor quotes? I gravitate toward the person who I have the best relationship with and who comes with the best referrals or who I've done projects with before. Mm-hmm. And so I I try not to look at the number as much as the consistency and their ability to get the job done. Fortunately, each of these folks have been able to bounce back from their mistakes and even more importantly, They've been able to learn from them. But it's way more fun to talk about the mistakes. So we asked everyone about the stupidest thing that they've spent money on. See if you can notice some common themes among the answers. I bought a car that I almost couldn't fit into. So I think, yeah, you know, I've had moments. It was like one of those fancy little Porsches. The stupidest thing I've ever spent money on, and my wife would probably tell you this quickly also, uh, but I bought a BMW and it was my first like, job where I was making over six figures and I've driven, you know, I was driving like a Toyota Scion or something like that. And I got this big job, this big raise. And I went out and bought this expensive BMW. Uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was pretty upset. She was like, probably not the best decision. She was like, you know, we're thinking about buying a house and all these other things. And lo and behold, about less than a year later, when we go to buy that first home of ours, they're like, Tony, great news. You're approved for the loan. Only thing is you got to sell the BMW. Bentley. So we got a Bentley. I think it was more so, it wasn't that like buying an expensive car is dumb. It was more that like, I don't care about expensive cars. And then um, we I returned it six months later. It was an all white Forerunner uh, TRD Pro, like $65,000 was the most expensive car I bought at the time. It was a year and a half ago. And it was dumb because I work in downtown San Diego and I have to go into parking structures a lot. And my Forerunner was too high to fit in most parking structures. And one time I just said, screw it. I'm just going to go through it and see what happens. And my car got stuck there and they had to like basically tow me out of the parking structure. So that's one of the dumbest things I've done as well. I would not do it again. I used to be into cars as a kid, Hondas and Acuras and Mitsubishis. Uh, We used to spend money on basically every part you could put on a car. Did you have a blow off valve? Turbo? I (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I can tell. I just got a good read on you right now. Spoiler. Like a nice spoiler on the back? No spoilers. We actually, we stayed away from all the stuff that that made the car look fast. Oh, you want to trick everybody. Yeah. Because then they'd race you not expecting anything. Exactly. Yeah, we tried to build like sleeper cars. I like it, man. So are you a fan of GTRs? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like them. They don't look fast. You never think so. Yeah, that's right. So we did the whole thing. Went to the races every Saturday night, trying to hustle people. (laughs) Rob spent way too much money on pickleball gear. He's got super into it. He's got these fancy goggles that he wears. I've never even played. It's fun. He's got like clothes, like biker clothes that streamline the air so he can run faster. PF flyers that he wears. How long until you're sponsored? Uh, I'm looking for a sponsor. I'm seeking agency now with the pickleball uh, gear company. So please hit me up over at Raw Build. All right. First question, Layla, I'm going to ask you. 
What is the stupidest thing that you've ever spent money on? And is there any reason you do it again? <laughs> a dog. A <laughs> A three thousand dollar dog. Oh wow! <laughs> what kind of dog is it? This is the Bugatti of dogs. That a, we're talking a King about right Charles now. Spaniel. Okay. Okay. Yes. Sounds cute. Small. Big? Super cute. Okay. Super cute. Super small. Super dumb. And <laughs> the reason I say it was stupid is because like there are things I've bought that maybe would be like uh, like a net neutral when I bought it, like a jacket that's very expensive, right? But it didn't harm my life. But the dog stole so much of our life for a period of time that I think it was the stupidest purchase I could have made. Alex, do you like the dog? No, I was in favor of getting rid of it. He's a productivity killer. Does, does the dog still exist? He's alive. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't like take it out back. And just, uh, we rehomed him. Yeah, no, we rehomed it. But no, I, I remember I was like walking the dog and uh, it was like the fourth time because the bladder is like the size of this thumb. <laughs> And, uh, and I, and like, I'm, I'm on like a call and I was like, I know what my hourly like income is. And I was like, this dog cost me $10,000 a day. I was like, I would never buy this dog at $10,000 a day. This is ridiculous. I would say some of the courses, mentorships, and maybe some of the programs I've signed up for. And I would just say it what had nothing to do with the people who were running them. It more had to do with my commitment level. I think there's a lot of people who are signing up for things and they take signing up for things as a proxy for maybe taking action, but without actually committing to doing the thing that you're signing up for, nothing really changes. So it's like a gym membership. You never go to the gym. Exactly. Right, right, right. Ah, yes. Commitment. It's a sneaky thing that's held me back from time to time. But what's even sneakier is that the things that hold us back can change over the years. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. What is something that was holding you back in the beginning and what holds you back now? 
a belief that you have to have money to play the game. And what holds you back now? My biggest thing is we learned that we could buy everything, so we bought a whole bunch of stuff. We need to come in and optimize more pieces of the business. I think a few more systems would serve us well. People do systems too early, I think, which is not a great thing. We came in, we built the business, then we built more business, then we built more business. It's time to sit back, optimize a little bit for the next push forward. That's the thing that's holding me back. All right. Cody, same question. Lack of confidence in the beginning. I had a mentor who helped enable me in the beginning, taught me a little bit about seller financing, but he also put me down, told me I wasn't a sales guy, that I, I couldn't do this and repeat it, which was a little bit tough to hear. And so when I first met Christian, he said, well, you actually can sell and you know what you're doing. I haven't met someone that's doing it the way you are. So that really lifted me up, which is when we ended up partnering. But um, it was that lack of confidence. Oh, what about now? Right now, uh, it would go to the systems. I exited property management. I don't do that anymore. But I'm limited in what I get to buy, not can buy, but get to buy the systems in place for the actual asset management. So with your mentor, just out of curiosity, was was it like a tough love kind of thing or was he just not nice? It wasn't very nice. Okay. He was just being an ass? He said iron sharpens iron, and I believe that to be true. However, uh, Christian could probably put it better because he got to witness it. It just wasn't very kind. So he said iron sharpens iron as a way of being a jerk. Uh, that was a justification. I feel that was a justification. From an outside perspective... That was a, he's like, oh, shoot, I can't replicate what my mentee is doing. Like Cody outshined him in literally everything he did. So the strategy was, well, I'm just going to tell him he's not ready yet. He needs an to equity partner. To protect the ego. Yeah. yeah. And Cody just absolutely carried that partnership from an outside perspective. He was an enabler, though. I mean, I needed help, but uh, he didn't want me to outscale it. And so that's where it got stuck. And that lack of confidence really hurts a lot of people. That's what I found. We ended up leaving around the time uh, he made a statement of, you guys need to stop buying multifamily properties because you're making me look bad. Yeah, like, that's a, if you openly admit <laughs> I was that. like, well, no, you could also buy more. It was taking away his credibility. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What was holding you back at the very beginning versus what's holding you back now? I think that in the very beginning, it's lack of resources and knowledge that I feel like was holding me back, like first starting a business, lack of resources, knowledge, and lack of clarity as to even what the right resources were to try and attain and like where, where was the right place to go for knowledge because, and then now I would say that it is overwhelm of resources and knowledge. Um, and so it's like in the beginning, I think you lack opportunity because you have no track record, you have no brand, you have like nothing to show. You have no evidence to even prove to yourself that you're good at what you do. And then I think as time goes on and you gain all of those things, there are constantly opportunities coming at you. And it's like, gosh, which ones do I pick when they're all actually good? Early for me, it was, I didn't understand the people component. Uh, it was for me, I was all like hard science of business. So just like marketing, sales, conversion rate percentages, like all of, every, if it wasn't quant, I didn't care. Um, and I think that now, I have a different appreciation, which is the difference between like hard skills and soft skills is more that hard skills are easy to measure. Soft skills are hard to measure, but no less important. That's all the difference is. It's mm. just they're, they're just more difficult to measure, but not any any less impactful. And I would say arguably they are more impactful in terms of long term. And most starter entrepreneurs, you know, once you're at a million, three million, you know, ish right in there. It's like usually when you can still kind of muscle your way through stuff um, and always like kind of save the day. But like getting from there to like a million a month and beyond is all team, you know, and, and having the right culture and having the vision and all the soft stuff that I used to like throw out and be like, oh, this is all hoodoo. And it totally is hoodoo when you're under 3 million because it doesn't matter because you got to sell, you got to sell stuff and you got to like, that's all it yeah. is. But if you want other people to do that for you, then they have to have a reason. And I think that's all, that's, that is the soft stuff. Um, nowadays, it's, it's still the same uh, woman in the red dress, uh, which is one of the analogies that I use Matrix. a lot. Matrix. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like learning how to say no is actually, in my opinion, not a binary skill of like, oh, he knows how to say no. It's more that you learn how to say no at every level. So like when you're, you know, when I was poor, uh, I, I couldn't say no to anything, <laughs> right? Uh, but then I like learned how to say no to a $1,000 opportunity when I was making $10,000 a month. Um, but at that point, like, could I say no to another $10,000 a month opportunity? I, I struggled with that for years. I, I would, you know, spread between different things. I had at one point, I had nine businesses when I met Layla. Uh, and I was making no money, <laughs> lots of revenue, no profit. Um, and then 
as I continue to like go up the ladder, uh, and the thing that got me to go from nine business to one business, and then from from you know relatively small wealth to mega mega quotes here uh, wealth was just putting all that attention on one thing. But even as I like climbed up that ladder. Um, some of the biggest mistakes I made in business, even when we had gym launch, uh, which for the context of the audience was doing like four-ish million a month, I should have just kept doing that. Uh, and instead I was like, let's start a software company. Uh, and then just diverted all these resources to this other thing. And, uh, it ended up being a, a mistake that probably cost, you know, multiple eight figures, maybe nine figures, uh, for us. And so I've learned how to say no to that level now. And I still have to learn how to say no to higher level opportunities today that, the, the woman in the red just gets more and more attractive. That's all it is. It's like your game gets up and like she steps up her game in terms of how tempting she is. And so that's the thing that I still struggle with all the time. Go back in time and give yourself some advice. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell past Ash? Processes and systems. Mm -hmm. Start early documenting, writing lists of everything that I was doing. And from there, I can take that and I can hire a VA. I can grow and scale. I can change it. But for too long, I went with just like, it's in my brain. I know how to do it. But every time I did something, I'd have to like go back into my brain and think about it instead of having a list of, okay, here's an eviction. Here's my little checklist of every single step that goes into an eviction. Here's what to do. And I waited till I had so many units and it was time consuming for me to actually stop working on my properties and go back and take the time to lit, like write out those lists and document those processes. If I could go back in time and tell past Tony something, I think it would be to adopt a an abundance mindset earlier as well. Like I, I grew up, I, we weren't on like public assistance or anything. I wasn't on free stamps, but we grew up and money was tight. And I just always had this kind of scarcity mindset around money. And I just assumed that everyone else like didn't have money either. And it wasn't until I started to meet other successful people that I realized just how much money is actually out there and how money actually flows. And I think I would have maybe attempted bigger things had I not had that scarcity mindset. Early I think on. I'm very similar to you in that way. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to break out of that. Totally. Because it kept you alive for a while. Yeah. To let go of it feels like you're going to die. Yeah. It's scary. Spend time in education like I did, but no one to cut it off. I think in the beginning... I spent way too much time just trying to figure everything out. Uh, didn't really take action quick enough. I think I could have probably shaved three to six months off of my initial uh, year of figuring things out and kind of figuring out uh, how do I want to walk this real estate path. Yeah, that's great. I think there's a fine line between, you know, when you have analysis paralysis, a lot of the times it's because you just don't know enough. So you start researching, start feeling better. And then you research too much, putting yourself back in analysis paralysis. So you got to remember real estate, you're studying concepts, you're studying things, foundational elements that make real estate a business. But you can't just learn it all from a book. You have to actually apply the things that you read into real life scenarios. And that's how you actually learn real estate. Yeah. And that's how it sticks. It's kind of codified in your mind. Once you've done it, you know, you read about it and apply it, then it's you know, almost like permanent memory. There's really two things that I think I've, I've would tell myself. The first one is if a property manager is no good for the first few months, they're not going to get any better. And I, I have a, a fault that I trust people longer than I should. And this is something I've really learned this year that property managers are key to your success and they will make or break it. And if you have a, a bad property manager, you need to replace them quickly and move on. You might have recognized those last two voices as Danny Zapata and Wendy St. Clair, two of the mentees that Rob and I helped to get their next deal earlier in the year. And to Wendy's point about bad property managers, sometimes you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. It's important to know when to walk away because certain relationships just don't get better. If you don't have a means to get it to cash flow positive, you should figure out how to restructure number one. And if you can't restructure, you can't refinance, you can't adjust the equity. I mean, there's a lot of ways to play the game. But if there's no way to get it to cash flow positive and exit, then uh, I would walk away. And at the end of the day, you can relever your other portfolio to pay it off. But if you have no means to get it to positive cash flow, absolutely, it's, it's a no deal. If you can't get through due diligence, walk away from the deal. We've had a deal that should be absolutely phenomenal. The terms are ridiculous. The stated income's there. They just did not have the bookkeeping to back it up at all. And it's like, you know what? If they can't prove they're bringing in the income, we've seen this so many times, uh, due diligence is not fantastic. Just don't close on the deal. You need to know what you need to know. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so 
most often people will not surprise you as the first bad thing that person has done before. And where I've gone wrong is not doing enough due diligence on people in the past. So if they've exited multiple companies and done well, if they've done other partnerships well, if they have a happy marriage, if they have good friendships, if they have long friendships, I want to see duration and time of execution. And typically, we don't do that. We meet a person in a moment in time, and we think that that person is who we're getting into business with. Um, What you should actually do is go back and look at their history. You need a track record on excellence, because if it was a track record on poor performance, that's most likely to continue. And so do you actually go through like a vetting process or like a reference check or anything like that with someone that you want to partner up with? Now I do, for sure. I mean, I had one deal recently go really, really bad. And it was because it was a friend who I had gotten to know, who I really trusted, but I didn't do the traditional background check, which I think you should do every single time. And I think you should do five references that they give you. You should talk to all of them and you should do five references you find. So those are just people you reach out to because it's so easy to tell if somebody thinks this person is exceptional or not. If they don't respond, there's your answer. They don't think they're exceptional. If they respond and they're like, I don't really comment on ex-partners, there's your answer. And usually they'll respond and be like, that person's awesome. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about them. And typically people don't do background checks. They don't, they might call references that that person gave them, but they very rarely go out and look for their own references. And these are people like, I want to talk to your last five bosses. I want to talk to the last five investors that you had come into your most recent deals. While Cody is schooling us all about how to be objective about our friends and our hires, It's also important to try to be objective about ourselves. We decided to turn the mic around back on our friends and ask them what their biggest area of improvement was in regards to their own performance. I think often I tend to err towards the side of because I want to make everyone feel included and I tend to be very people focused. I don't make decisions quickly enough. And so something that I'm working on right now is just being more decisive for the sake of speed. Uh, And I think it's good for a leader to not lean more towards like authoritative in that they command everyone to do things, but also not like, you know, this is a democracy and everyone gets an equal vote and like all. And so I've I've tried to do a better job lately of collecting the information from my team and then making a, a decision quickly rather than sitting on it and, you know, being swayed because I tend to take, you know, I hire smart people and I want to take their opinion into account. And I, I truly do. I mean, I, I value all their opinions so much, um, but I have to hone in that skill of decision-making and do it faster. I would say my last season was all about getting better at patience and getting better at brand personally. Like those are the two skills that I've been working a lot on, but I would say my current biggest deficiency is still focus. It's still very, it's still, it's still a daily struggle for me to, to say no to opportunities. I'm a golden retriever, you know, so I just see little squirrels everywhere I want to tra- I want to chase. And uh, so if you were taught to talk to my operators, my number twos at any of my companies, they would say, like, you have to have like a you have to have a Cody boundary, which is basically Cody's going to come up with a bunch of ideas. She's just going to vomit them at you frequently. And you have to know which ones she really wants to execute on and which ones she's just bringing to you because she saw a shiny object to the left or right. And then also you've experienced this because we text a lot. I move pretty quick. And so half of my text are like her, him, you, them, you know, yes, maybe no, and don't make a lot of sense. So learning to slow down, focus on less things for sure. Double down on on the systems then like really committing to the systems that I that I use. The idea phase and the action phase is that's never my issue. Like taking action and and really yeah, being committed to a, a path. But uh, sticking to systems and organizing and the things like what's my KPIs? What are my, how are my, how are any of the things, all of the ideas that I've been implementing, are they working or not? That's always something that uh, I do better when I focus on that or I partner with people that are really focused on that. Go bigger sooner. Um, Don't be afraid to expand yourself and push your limits. Mm -hmm. So there's, uh, I tend to fall really easily into my comfort zone. Comfort zone, so um, that's it's called comfort zone for a reason. You know, you you want to you want to stay there, but really, true growth comes from stretching yourself and trying things you haven't done before, doing things that scare you. Focus and stick to itness. When I 
get tired of a project. Those are the two things that probably plague me the most. I have no lack of energy. I have no lack of optimism. I have no lack of ability to communicate and bring people along with me. But sometimes uh, I have a little bit of that uh, focus challenge where I get excited about too many things at once and can't decide which one to go for. Probably time management. That would be one. Uh, Second, Probably time. It'd be probably be time management. So how does that work out? In, in <laughs> you didn't manage or? your time very well when you're answering that question. Like you get distracted or okay. What? So I'm okay. My personality is I I can get really obsessive with things and I can drive at them basically at full speed. But sometimes that's in a direction that actually is is not the best use of of my time. And then I also have the ability to pull people around me. Like I, I'm kind of one of these. Like let's go get in. All right. Uh, that can distract us. And so I would say if a boss, if I had to work for somebody, they would probably critique that. Yeah, Mikey's right. We all have to figure out how to manage our time because it's the only thing that we can't get more of. You can lose money on a deal. You can get more money. You can mess up a relationship. You can get a new relationship, but you can never get your time back. So we went head on about one of the biggest myths in real estate success. Is there a stigma around chasing success and having it by a certain age? Should people listen to this or do you think everybody's kind of playing their own game? There's no one way to play any game for sure. I think the most important thing isn't that you have success young. It's that you stack the deck in your favor. And the way you would do that is by learning as much as humanly possible young. I actually think, you know, we have some mutual friends that have had a lot of monetary success really young. Um, But I'm not sure that they've learned the lessons that you want to learn at that age to scale to that really big next level. And so if it's me, I am sacrificing short-term pay and I'm sacrificing short-term – I'm sacrificing my short-term 100K to a million bucks when I'm young and I'm going to instead spend a bunch of that on learning because I think my ROI – you know, you can only make – 10% 10% a year if you're the best investor in the world on, let's say, 100000 or a million bucks. It's not enough for you to live the rest of your life off of. I'd much rather put that 100 k into myself because I can ROI 100x on the things that I learn. And people don't really think like that, but they should. They're negotiating their early on salary. They're looking for some crazy arbitrage opportunity or some hot speculative item to invest in. And that may get you to that first 100 k or a million, but you're going to skip all the lessons. And then everybody, you know, I think growth kind of growth looks like a company. Typically when you're young, when you're in your fifth, you know, when you're 15, 20, 25, you're, you're pretty much, you're not doing much impressive from a, a total income perspective. But then all of a sudden the line for your income starts to go like this. If you've been learning, because underneath you're learning like this while everybody else is trying to do this with their salary. Yeah. And so you want hockey stick like earnings which means slow and then it slopes and you want exponential learnings. So delayed gratification and focus on what you learn, not what you earn. 100%. Is success measured by age or race by a certain age? I would say society says that success is a race to a certain age. So the younger you are and the younger you get to financial freedom, the more successful you are. I would say that's the push from society. I would say reality, though, no. I think there's no race to to success because I think success has different pillars to it, right? A lot of times we look at success as just the wealth function, but we skip, you know, whether it's family, faith, fitness, all the other components. And I think when it comes to relationships, especially, it takes time to build wisdom and you end up not knowing enough at a young age. So I would say no. Success, I think, looks better as you get older. Well, I'm feeling a lot wiser after listening to all these smart people. What about you, Rob? Well, I didn't know that was possible, David, because you are the wisest man I know, my friend. But for me, I'll be the first one to admit that I leveled up with every single answer from all of our guests. You know, what you lack in wisdom, you make up for in charm, good looks, and pure raw talent. If you guys have never heard the vast array of voices that Rob can do, he (laughs) rivals even myself. Do you want to give me a Nicolas Cage in a, in a spelling contest? Try to spell rambunctious. Give me your best Christopher Walken impression. Wow, slow down. I've got a fever. And the only prescription's for you to shut your hole. That's pretty dang good. I mean, I think that could that could pass as a deep fake. You guys see why <laughs> we have talented people on the Bigger Pockets podcast. In case we ever run out of stuff to talk about with real estate, we can just do this the whole time. 
And if you want to connect with any of the wise people featured in today's show, just check out our description wherever you're listening and you can find out the best place to follow them. Rob, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, you can find me over on YouTube at Rob Built or Instagram and threads at Rob Built. Or, you know, if you happen to be at the Delta Lounge in Atlanta, uh, I'm also here recording live. So you can come say hi if you see me uh, talking in a microphone. How about you? You can find me at David Green 24 on all social media. Instagram is where I am the most or davidgreen24.com. Same goes for YouTube. They let us use handles over there now. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, everybody who listened. We appreciate you helping us get to 800 episodes of the finest podcast in all of the land. We hope you like this one, and we will continue to bring you future shows to help you grow in wisdom, just like my friend Rob here. This is David Green for Rob, the massive talent Abasolo, signing off. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to something, something, and mm-hmm. walk away. Mm-hmm. Got to know when, when to hold them. Why are you singing <laughs> <Yeah>. so slow? <laughs> Let's just get to this. Is this Chopped and Screwed because you're from Houston? This is a Chopped and Screwed uh, country song. We might have just started a new trend there. Someone's going to chop and screw Garth Brooks. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.